Day One of the End of the World is a collection of first-hand accounts of what happened the first day of the zombie apocalypse. The Day One Oral History Collection showcases the human elements, the chaos, the heroism, and the tragedy, as seen through the eyes of people from around the world. Sidetracked from her Broadway dreams, budding actress Janelle found herself working in the unlikeliest of places when the world started to unravel. Ryan Fisher was a dick. A privileged, misogynistic asshat that I could outride, outfight, and outsmart six days a week and twice on Sunday. Unfortunately, he was also 6'3 with sculpted blonde hair and a toothy, vacant grin. Which is why he was down on the arena floor making a grand entrance while I scooted through the visiting dignitaries section taking drink orders. What you got on tap? Asked the buzz cut father of four, trying to check out my cleavage without his wife catching him. Dude. Your eight-year-old daughter is three seats down. Is this really a side of you that you want her to see? The Archbishop Stout, I offered brightly. Lord Walsingham's wife and the wife of Bath's IPA, my lord. He stared at me blankly, sweating like the proverbial horror in church. We also have Bud and Bud Light, my lord, I add. Now we're talking, he slurred back. I hope for his kid's sake that his wife had the car keys. Give me a Bud Light. Loyal vassal or lord of the realm? What? Small or large? I clarified, struggling to paste on a smile. Right. Large. And a pitcher of coke for the kids. His wife elbows him. Ow. Gotcha. Sorry. A pitcher of sprite for the kids. Will Sierra must serve, my lord? Guess they'll have to do. He sighed like I was offering his children bathwater. And for the milady. What do you recommend? A quickie divorce and a new life on the coast. Mayhap a Mary Queen of Scouts will suit. Another blank stare. A, a bloody Mary. Right. Good. With extra olives. I gave them a shallow curtsy and bolted for the kitchens. Flagstone Manor was what you would get if a microbrewery had a three-way with a Renaissance fair and a roadside circus. A cheap facade of a medieval castle slapped up with a dirt floored arena just off State Highway 21. Rubes came from all over the state to celebrate everything from birthdays to work promotions to bar mitzvahs. A couple of bachelor parties I've seen come through weirded me out pretty hard. Serving wenches, management's term, not mine, sling crab brews, cocktails, and gristly turkey leg dinners. If you ever want to lose weight, spend an hour in the kitchens here. You'll never want to eat again. And suburbanite families with Sugarstone kids goggled at the Tournament of Champions. A vaguely historical mismatch of animal eggs, courtly melodrama, and simulated jousting. It was campy and bizarre and as grotesquely American as it sounds. And the only gig keeping a roof over my head. I'd been lured into the sticks with a juicy summer stock contract. Three bounce paychecks in, the producer slash artistic director skipped town, leaving me in an awkward and unattainable situation. I couldn't go back to the apartment I had subletted in Chicago and my lousy credit couldn't keep me afloat. I needed a job. Any job, and that's how I ended up in Hector's office. As the all-in-one owner, brewmaster, and director looked over my headshot and resume, I told him about my riding experience as a barrel racer growing up in Oklahoma and my fight skills. Certifications in unarmed, broadsword and shield, rapier and dagger, and quarterstaff. I was about to launch into a monologue when he stopped me and said they weren't looking for performers, but he could use another server. I was wrapping my head around this low-key rejection when Ryan poked his head in the door. Who's this? He asked with a leer. I hate it when people talk about me instead of to me. This is Janelle, said Hector. 
She's thinking of joining us. She's going to be our Black Knight, Grand Ryan. A less than subtle poke at my dark skin tone. The kind of casual, it's just a joke racism that's exhausting at the best of times. Reminding myself that a paycheck's a paycheck. I ground my teeth, served up a tight-lipped smile, and asked Hector, When do I start? Anyway, Ryan was basking in the crowd's approval as I put in the drink order for the buzz cut family. He set atop Cody, a 17-hand gray Percheron who was my favorite, a real charmer. Whenever I could, I'd try to sneak in before my shift and bring him some kind of treat. Apple slices or a handful of sunflower seeds. It was galling to see such a beautiful creature lugging around an artless lunk-like fisher. I sneaked down to the exit tunnel for a peek as they were running around of rings. Each rider, in turn, would take a pass along each side of the center rail, catching as many hanging rings as possible with the tip of their lands. Ryan, the last one up, sat too low in the saddle, stiff and bouncy as he started his run. He somehow managed four out of six rings, more through luck than skill, but he played it to the crowd as if he had just saved the world. He trotted up to the reviewing stand where the king and queen looked on in regal amusement. Tipping his lance down, he let one of the captured rings slide to the queen, a chivalrous gesture that the crowd ate up. I wonder how they would react if they knew their hero knight was diddling her majesty behind his young wife's back. A scream from the crowd shattered the moment. With the amount of booze that flowed, disruptions were fairly common. Hecklers were inevitable, and an occasional scuffle would break out in the stands. Some mope gets up in another guy's face because his kid can't see, or a young buck with too much testosterone shoves the jerk who spilled beer on his girlfriend. Security was usually pretty quick to shut that sort of thing down, but that particular scream said something different was happening. A scrum formed in the Green Knight section. A chaotic tangle of bodies punching, shoving, and smashing into each other, People started to flee from the mayhem, which was odd. Usually, if a fight broke out, folks would stick pretty close to their seats through either a venal desire to watch or a stubborn refusal to abandon their seats that they paid for. Security tried to wade their way through to the disturbance, but it was rough going through the press of bodies. Another cry of distress came from the opposite side of the arena, prompting another surge towards the owls and a wave of panic that rolled through the stands. The king and queen craned their heads around their paired thrones, desperate to get a look behind them. The horses fidgeted beneath their riders, hooves nervously stumping up and down. Elliot, one of the knights, broke free, spurring his horse out through the tunnel I was in. I pressed my back to the wall as he raced by, squires beating feet after him. Hector was going to have a fit when he found out the show crashed and burned. Ryan bobbed his head like an overstimulated parakeet, unable to take in what was going on. With each sway of his head, he yanked on Cody's reins, leaving the poor confused horse to sway back and forth. Someone clambered from the stands onto the arena wall, and my eyes went wide as I recognized the buzz-cut dad. Blood dripped from his mouth, staining the front of his shirt. Instinctively, I bolted into the arena as he sprang from the wall and onto Ryan's back. The mighty hero shrieked like a train whistle as the pair of them swayed in the saddle, Cody struggling to stay upright under the shifting weight. They tumbled over the side, dad landing hard on the arena's dirt floor, Ryan hanging upside down with one foot caught in his stirrups. Cody didn't like it, but kept his cool instead of dragging the lunk for the worst ride of his life. Dad scrambled to his feet, lunging at Fisher. I dropped my shoulder, barging into him as hard as I could. He had 80 pounds on me, easy, and I felt the impact jolt through my collarbone into my jaw. He stumbled forward and face-planted as I turned to help Ryan. Stop struggling, I shouted, grabbing the heel of his boot and giving it a mighty tug. Two more yanks with no help from him. 
and his foot came loose from the boots, spilling him onto the ground. Look, he gasped, but I never heard him finish as I was driven face down into the dirt. I flipped over as Dad crawled on top of me, hands locking around my neck. Over his shoulder, Ryan hobbled away with one bare foot. Like I said, Dick. Buzzcut Dad was bigger and stronger than me, so I didn't hold back, knuckle-punching him in the throat. By all rights, that should have stopped him dead. I'm small, but I know where and how to hit, and he should have been left gasping through a crushed windpipe. His head bobbed back slightly, and he snapped back without so much as a cough. I was the one left gasping as his grip tightened around my throat. He opened his mouth wide, blood and drool trailing from his lips and lunged at my face. I jammed my hands into his chest, stopping him short, unsure how long I would be able to hold him off. Spots were starting to gather in the corner of my eyes, and the sound of the arena started to fade, overcome by the roar of rushing blood in my ears. The skin of my face felt hot and ready to burst. Guess he's not going to tip, I thought with a weak grin. If that was the way it was going to end, at least I'd go out with a smile on my face. Crack! The dad's blubbery body flopped away. I barrel rolled in the opposite direction, heaving in urgent gulps of air, unsure what just happened. Looking over, I saw Cody rearing up his hooves, crashing down on dad's chest and face, pounding and smashing them beyond recognition. Good boy, I croaked. Getting to my feet, I gave him a soothing pat on his muzzle. That's when I noticed that dad wasn't the only one to think of the tilt yard as fertile hunting ground. You up for this boy? I asked, grabbing Cody's reins. He gave a snort and a shake of his head that I took as a yes. Hiking up my skirts, I swung up into the saddle. In spite of the hell on earth around me, it felt pretty good. We trotted over to a weapons rack as the crowd of slavering, whatever they were, converged on us. I grabbed a hand and a half broadsword, giving it a quick swing to get a feel for it. There's no edge, but five pounds, give or take, of steel upside your head is going to do some damage, sharp or not. One of the feistier savages broke away from the crowd with murderous intent. A quick downward swing knocked his grasping hands away. I brought the blade back around in a wide arc, crashing down on his head. A fierce jolt ran up my arm. I'd never hit anyone like that before, and I heard his skull crack. As he fell to the dirt, another lunged at me. A backhand slash across the jawline sent that one pinwheeling away. I jabbed another in the chest, staggering him, and wheeled Cody away before the rest could close in and overwhelm us. The prospects at the other end of the arena didn't look much better. The stands had thinned out, most of the crowd having broken for the exits. Who knows how many made it or how many got injured or worse in the press to escape the building. Packs of these, God, it still feels weird to say it. Zombies. Bit and tore at the fallen. Worse, more of them were leaping and tumbling onto the jousting field with me as the closest prey left. Half a dozen blocked the exit tunnel with more joining them. I took Cody on a tight run around the center rail. The only way out was through, and I need to build up as much momentum as I could. Never thought I would end my night with a one-woman cavalry charge, my life hanging in the balance. Funny old world, right? Thankfully, my opponents weren't smart or organized enough to set themselves for our charge. Cody raised his front hooves as we thundered into the growing throng, knocking three of them sprawling. I hacked away from the saddle, battering heads and breaking arms. My skirt tore and a hand grasped my ankle. For a tense moment, I thought I was going to be pulled to the ground. Cody continued to push forward, though, as I bashed the hand away and we broke on through into the tunnel. The rear doors leading out the stables were stuck open. If they were closed or even worse, locked, I wouldn't be telling you this story right now. We galloped out into the cool night air in a scene of total chaos. People ran in terror as cars smashed into each other, 
rushing to exit the parking lot. Sirens wailed in the distance, lots of them, but none seemed to be heading in our direction. I saw Ryan trying to start his Jeep as feral maniacs tore at the canvas top. I didn't fancy his chances, but I'd already pulled his fat out of the fire once that night and look where it got me. The Black Knight had better things to do. Cody and I rode hard, staying well away from the roads whenever we could. Just after dawn, we came up on a farm in the next county over. The owners were wary as we approached. Who could blame them, all things considered? But they took us in, in exchange for a share of the daily chores. More folks trickled in over the weeks that followed. We've got a good thing going now. A modern-day commune, though some around here get a little testy if you call it that. It was the end of my performing dreams. But I think maybe I found something better. I've got security, community, and I've never had to worry about paychecks or rent. Best of all, I've got Cody with me every day of the week. Who could ask for more? This has been Day One of the End of the World, an oral history of the zombie apocalypse. This episode was written by Eric Fredrickson, performed by Brianne Goodrum, directed by Brenda Holliday, narration by Gregory Larson. Find out more about these talented artists and this podcast at necrodemic.com. <laughs>